0: Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. How many of you guys do have kids? All right. It's good to get to know the temperature of the room. How many of you guys fought with your kids on the way here? Yes. How many of you guys wish you didn't have any kids? That's rhetorical. That's rhetorical. Hi, Sasha. Uh... (laughs) uh there's a there's a song in the 80s that that uh i was a little too young to know but it was by will smith and it's one of his first songs called parents don't understand parents just don't understand now i i think yeah i agree man i remember that as a kid thinking yeah my parents don't understand and now i think about like yeah i don't understand (laughs) i don't understand what am i doing what are we supposed to be doing how should I be helping these kids? What do I do about these specific issues when there's these two kids fighting about this thing, and then I know this guy's background, and I know where he's coming from, but then I'm trying to intervene and mediate. Sometimes breakup fights, right? Sometimes you're the ref in the UFC cage. Sometimes you're the server just there to deliver the next serving of mac and cheese. That's what you're there for, right? But these little specific questions about raising kids, about parenting, uh, are difficult. They are. But throughout the summer, we've talked about very difficult things. Very difficult things like work, and money, and sex, all from the Proverbs. Why? Because we're collectively saying, Lord, we need wisdom. We lack it. We're asking you for it, and we're going to... Your wisdom saying, show us how to live. Show us how to, to, what to do with our money. Show us how to work. Show us how to parent. And that's where we're at this morning. And so I've really got just four things that we're going to walk through Proverbs of like, what what does the Proverbs teach about parenting? What does the Proverbs tell us that is wise? How do you want to be a wise parent? Or if you want to be a wise parent? Here's four Kind of guidelines of this is what it looks like. First thing is to know, to believe, to hold is that kids are a gift from the Lord to steward. Now, my first thing comes from Psalm, not Proverbs, that Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. And then Proverbs adds grandchildren are the crown of the elderly and the pride of children is their fathers. They're people to enjoy. Why? Because they're gifts given to you from the Lord to treasure, to cherish, to steward. As the father cherishes his son and has always, he's then allowed us to experience the joy of parenting, of having intimate relationship with these little humans. Even sometimes when they feel like little demons, they are a prized possession, a heritage from the Lord, something to treasure and something to steward, and you have that that crown for the the elderly. Not, Not his accomplishments, not his retirement fund. Not how how many places he got to visit, 65 and plus. Not how many holes of golf he played, but his grandchildren are his crown. That's what he re- walks around boasting, gets excited about, thinks about, spends his money on, relishes in. Yeah, I did a lot of work. I did a lot of business. I, yeah, I made some money. I did this. I helped this. I did this. But have you seen my grandkids? That's what I want to tell you about. It's that vision of getting older and you having friendships with your kids and you enjoy them and you love them and you love helping them raise their kids crown of the elderly so kids are a gift from the Lord to steward that just helps us to know this is God's design I've told you many times the proverbs aren't a list of promises but they're they're pithy statements about how the world naturally works by God's design so you can't say oh we'll see later if I train up a child in the way he should go he won't depart from it I'm going to bank on that promise we're not talking about promises. We're talking about this is how it generally goes in the rhythm of God's created design. So, first things first, kids are a gift. So, you gotta know. They, they, in a, a, creasing, a culture increasingly known for its uh, contempt for kids, the jokes of, like, I don't, I never wanna see pictures of your kids of cities that are more favorable to dogs than they are to children. But the wisdom of God's creation, of how He's put this in a place is a fatherly order that says, I have a son, I've always loved him. I'm going to create the world with children so that their parents can love them their gift. Secondly, you are to be an example to your kids. Proverbs, Fourteen twenty-six says, "In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge." If you want your people, your kids to be safe, if you want your kids to have a future, if you want your kids to be in the best place they can be, fear the Lord yourself. They have a refuge. Proverbs twenty-seven says, "A righteous person acts with integrity; his children who come after him will be happy." So we lead by example, we, we just know, and we've heard that kids often learn more from what's caught than what's taught. They catch how we live, meaning you may not be teaching them, but you're always teaching them. If you are not explicitly saying something, you are always teaching them because they're reading the book of your life. They're watching. Okay, he says this, but but what does he do with this? How does he fall through with this? Is this what he really means? Is this what she really goes after? Is this what she really cares about? Besides the Bible, I think your lives are the most important book your kids are ever going to read. And as they read the book of your life, they'll see if worship is a delight or a duty. Whether sin is a horrible evil or just mere naughtiness. Or whether we really cherish our families or we view them as a burden. They're going to see. Now, that's a little fearful and that's a little exposing, right? Because we're all hypocrites. There's all things that we do say at times and we don't do at times. And who's going to see that the most in your life other than the Lord? If you're married, your spouse. If you have kids and your kids, that's who's going to see it. That's gonna, who's going to see it the most. But knowing that that's a reality doesn't mean, okay, then whatever. I'm just going to tell them what they should do. And maybe they'll actually live it out. <laughs> no, no. You, the, the, the acknowledgement, the clarity of of hypocrisy shouldn't lead us to settle for hypocrisy but say hey we're going to fight this and lead by example in the way of like fighting where any any part where our lives don't actually match up with what we believe and we say we believe we're working to to mind the gap cuz they'll catch what you love they'll catch what gets you excited they'll catch what you hate they'll catch what makes you angry They'll catch how you live when no one else is around. But if your fear is in the Lord, you have a strong confidence and they have a refuge. And if you, not perfectly, but consistently are practicing repentance, turning to Lord, following Jesus, what's it going to most likely look like for them? Happiness. The kids who come after people that walk in integrity are happy. And if you're like, I don't think that's how the world works. Well, let's do it by contrast. Because some of you guys know the opposite. Parents that didn't walk in integrity, how's your life? Unhappy was the answer. Unhappy, okay. (laughs) That's true, right? This is what flows. And so you lead by example to your kids so they know where they are going. They know what this actually looks like in flesh. Three, you're to instruct and teach your kids. This is how the Proverbs begin. 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son. So you, you, let me pause for a real second. Don't look at the screen anymore. Stop reading. You should imagine what you've always wanted in this, in this life of parenting. If you're parenting, you, you should imagine what you've always wanted. Someone older than you speaking into your parenting. Someone smarter than you. Someone that's done it before. Someone that's definitely done it better than you. One might say the wisest person on earth is here speaking to you on what you should do with your kids. So just like he's shaking his son to say, hey, listen up. You should feel that in your shoulders a little bit. Like Solomon's trying to grab you, say, hey, pay real close attention right here. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching for there'll be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. My son, if Sinners entice you. Don't be persuaded. And then if you're like, well, that's one old wise man. Another old wise man, John, at the end of his life, began to think about his converts and the people in his churches as his children. So he feels like a father. and He says, my, <laughs> I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. So you, if you've got kids, you, are to instruct and teach them. Now, you're like, well, we have this with school, we have this with this. I get it. If you have other venues that your kids are being taught, I get it. But the ultimate responsibility is you. This isn't a command. This isn't something God's calling you that you can punt, hand off, give over to someone else. You are to instruct them. You are to teach them. So how? Well, create create time. Just like with, with prayer, just like with any habits in your life, create time for it. Meaning, uh, a family worship, something around the table, where you read the Bible, you talk, you pray, you sing. Now, I've got, I've got, 20 outlines on definitive atonement, if you want to do that with your kids. Don't do that, though, okay? You don't need all the footnotes and bibliography and lectures. What you need is a few minutes of the Bible, a few minutes of discussion, pray to the Lord who loves you and is with you and fathers you, and sing to the Lord. That's it. But if you don't do the time, where are you going to have these conversations with your kids where you are regularly teaching them? But along with prayer, right? Right? I would encourage you to have some intentional time throughout the day where you set aside and you're just there doing nothing else but communing with the Lord. But then the Bible also talks to us, that, hey, this is a conversation throughout the day. We're always talking to him. So I want you to think, yes, there's time where you set aside and you sit at the table or wherever and you teach them about the Lord. You teach them who he is. But then there's also like prayer throughout the day. You teach them throughout the day. We stole this from the village church, our church great-grandmother, but they talk about time, moments, and milestones, and we're going to have this time, but then we're going to have these moments, like when we're at the park, and we're looking at squirrels and trees, we're going to talk about who made those, and I'm asking my kids catechism questions about that, like who made the squirrels, and he's going to say God made me and everything, yes, that's a moment, right, that we got to talk about what's really happening, or, or when uh, siblings are fighting, and you get to step in and, and teach them about confession and forgiveness and reconciling and mutually submitting to one another out of love for one another. That's a moment that you get to teach them. You get to instruct them. It's the idea of Deuteronomy 6 that all along the way, you're pointing them to Jesus. You're pointing them to to the wisdom of like, what does the good life actually look like? So you have these moments But there's also what they talk about, milestones. Milestones where you mark and make occasions to celebrate, commemorate significant spiritual moments. Milestones. Maybe it's a day you, you set aside just to have a serious conversation or a formal conversation about sex and sexuality. You get to celebrate that as a milestone. Maybe it's a a year after they broke a bone, and now they're they're up and they're moving around, and you can celebrate God healed you, and now y- you you can work and function. You can actually walk again. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I've had one of those kids. But you have these milestones you set aside. It can include birthdays, it can, but it's these things that we set. Say, hey, it could be rites of passage. These things that we actually set aside, think about, and intentionally plan for our kids based upon kind of where are they growing? Where are they developing me? What conversations do I need to have with them? I'm about to talk to you about that, but let me just say now before I forget it earlier the better. Earlier the better. Now, age appropriate, but earlier the better. Because if You do not talk to them about money, sex, people from the other gender, their gender, what gender is. If you don't talk, someone else is going to tell them these things. Someone else is going to disciple them, instruct, and teach them on these things. And and God's design is you. You be the one. You lead by example. You set the pace. You talk to them before anyone else does about any of these things. Why? So that the lens that they can see what other people tell them comes through the Bible and you, their trusted parent. Not some goofy brother of a cousin. I guess that's also your cousin. I'm sorry. (laughs) So if that's a bit of the how do we teach our children, here's some of the what. Meaning, what do you teach them? What do you teach? Well, you share your life with them. Uh, we gave you the, the 10 truths of Grace Kids that say, hey, here's a magnet. I think they're, they're on the chicken uh, counter right now. If you don't have one on your fridge, if you don't use it, say, hey, here's 10 truths. We're gonna talk about these things. And then there's 10 items from Proverbs that, that the father teaches the son that I think we have to teach our kids following that example. But first, sharing your life with them. Paul openly spoke about his problems, spoke about his afflictions, his weaknesses. Paul boasted in his weaknesses so that others could see the power of Christ in him. He opened his life to others so that they would open their lives to him. I think think happy are the children who can say to their friends, my mom and dad are pretty neat. I can talk to them about anything. That, that doesn't mean you act as their buddy and relegate your authority over them as godly parents. No, it, but it, it does mean that you strive to become their confidants in a friendship that grows as they mature. Well, Jesus called his disciples friends because he loved them enough to die for them and to share with them the whole counsel of God in his whole life. So share your life with them. Confess your sin to them and your actions and words. When you sin against them, tell them. It's a weird dynamic when you're always talking about their sin and you never confess you have any. They need to see mom and dad need the grace of God just like they do. Share your life. Teach them, our grace kids, 10 truths. But then, I want to see 10 things from Proverbs that the dad teaches his son. 10 items that he teaches that I think we should teach our children to give them wisdom. Back to eight. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. So, 10 items, hopefully quickly, things you should teach your children. Okay? Number one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Tell your kid that God is holy. Tell her that she's a sinner, that she can be reconciled to God through the life and death of Jesus. Tell her she can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Teach them to revere the word of God. So fear the Lord. Revere the word of God. The parents in Proverbs say, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. You're to revere. You, You should have that reverence, awe of the Father speaking to you and to your kids that they should say, hey, when all the dust settles and cultures come and go and things keep changing, timeless truth will not. So that they would, hey, I was born in this era. I was born in this era. I was born in this part of the world. Yeah, culture changes all the time. Empires come and go, but this will stand. Yeah, right. So let them have that. Let them have that reverence. Let them see your care, your love, your affection for the Lord and seeing that you want to commune with them. You want to hear him, that you need a dad as well. Three, honor the Lord. Proverbs 3 puts it particularly in finances. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Meaning teach them to honor the Lord with their work, with their resources, with their finances. Teach them about generous, faithful, regular giving to the Lord. Because the church, it's always weird to say for me, because so many people have abused this, but I don't want your money. I want you to be discipled in the life of generous, faithful giving because you have a generous, faithful father. I want, it's about you. It's about your heart. But I do believe the church is God's plan A. This is his plan A to bring the advancement of his kingdom to earth so teach them to honor the Lord with their money, with their work, with their effort. Four, appreciate correction. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the father in the Proverbs doesn't just discipline his son. He tells his son to enjoy the discipline. I'm saying you should as well. Why? Because Proverbs 12, 11 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. So don't raise stupid kids. Teach your children to appreciate the benefit of discipline. Five, pursue a godly spouse. The parents and proverbs have a lot to say about this, what they should look for, and the wife Proverbs 12, 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. 1822 says, He who finds a good thing and sorry, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A good spouse is a gift from God. A bad spouse is like uh, water torture, right? So, therefore, choose your partner wisely. Meaning, moms and dads, don't let your kids' hormones make their decisions for them, help them. Speak a word of wisdom. Don't let just their feelings be the thing that makes the biggest decision in their life for them. The wise mom and dad and brothers, had no problem speaking very specifically about the sort of spouse their son should pursue. They gave him pointed counsel on the matter and so should you point out what this looks like. You're there for them. When they turn 18, you do not lose the title of parent. Does it change, are things different? Yes. But you're still their parent they need you to help them to actually leave you and cleave to the next family they need you through that transition six learn self-control the father speaks very frankly about the dangers of sexual immorality he says he who commits adultery lacks sense he who does it destroys himself so so letting the river overflow the banks sexually speaking will destroy your child's life. Aware of the danger, the parents in Proverbs tell her some to give immoral women distance. Stay away, far from, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Then they also warn about the dangers of alcohol, saying wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So teaching the kid, learn self-control. You'll have desires in you. You don't have to say yes to every desire. It's actually wise to learn to say no so that you can say yes to the best. It's good to learn to say no to sin. It's good to learn to say no to foolishness. It's good to learn to say no to every desire so that you can say yes to the best that God has for you in this life. Seven, tell the truth. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You don't do your children any favors when you cover their failures or mistakes. They need to learn that the cleanest way through a problem is always by telling the truth. Even if that means how you talk to them about telling the truth and what you will do if they don't tell the truth and later tell the truth rather than what you'll do if they'll just tell the truth up front. Why? Because telling the truth is such a big deal. How? How? Can we continue in this relationship if I can't trust you and you can't trust me? We've got to teach them to tell the truth, even when it hurts, even when there's consequences, even when they're scared that they would tell the truth because there's nothing helpful about hiding, having a secret garden, lying to keep up appearances. It doesn't work. It's not wise. Eight, build strong friendships. I have a lot to say about this. First thing I'll tell you is I think a big part of this is leading by example, and all of these are. You're to teach them, but you're also to show them. And, and I haven't thought about this that much, but I, I do think one of the general failures of a previous generation is being friends and teaching their kids how to have friends and be friends. Meaning, I think we're the result of that. I think many of us don't know how to be friends, how to have friends, how to be committed over the long haul to people, how to endure, how to get past superficiality and actually be with one another, know one another, share our lives with one another. And so you lead by example in this yourself, but then you also encourage it simply with the wise imagery of you're by yourself easily broken, two cords easily broken, three cords stranded together That's a tight rope that's hard to break. Just by that imagery of the people you put around will be who you will be in five years. You'll be around those people five years, you're going to be like them in five years. So think about who you're choosing and then choose them and commit to them and say, hey, we're going to be in this together. They need those friendships. I gotta keep going nine work hard we talked about this enough a few weeks ago i'm gonna keep moving work hard right no okay proverbs 10 4 5 <laughs> says a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich he who gathers in summer is a prudent son but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame this is Eastern culture. You should think a little bit more Eastern culture of honor and shame culture. This is what's happening. So teach your kids to work hard and make hay while the sun shines. Teach them that work comes before play. Teach them to do something useful. The wise mom and dad say their son, Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So wise parents point their children in the direction of productive Enterprise. Lastly, show mercy to the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever presses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Uh, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. I think the greatest theological problem or misconception in our day is not about really forgiveness or even not about God, because in our culture, both those things have been left behind. The thing that's being argued at right now is what is... Man, this is where you can teach the counterintuitive, countercultural good news to your kids. That all human beings are to be treated with dignity and honor and respect. And you actually can say that with confidence. Why? Because you can say that with something to stand on. The, the, real, the real path for them and your kids is, are, are they going to think like secular atheists and think nothing is beyond this world and this is all that there is? Which means they can say in this part that they should treat people with dignity and respect, but why? And there's no reason. The logical conclusion is survival of the fittest and every week, person that is really not contributing to society is unnecessary and we could think about getting rid of them. But The other path is that we live in a fathered world and that he breathed existence into our lungs and gave us, stamped us with his image so that we bear his image and we all No matter our function, no matter our age, no matter our abilities or our capacity to contribute to society, we all have dignity, worth, and value. And we should be treated as such. You get to teach your kids that and get to have something to tell them why. And I would tell you also, tell them this. Tell them this. One of the biggest things I do is pause stuff at our houses to teach them this. Hey, we're watching something, pause. Hey, let's talk a little bit. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the world view? Do you see what they're talking about? Do you see where this goes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, play, let's go, right? I feel, like, I feel like we're playing street hockey, like game off, we gotta talk. Game off, okay. Let's talk a little bit, all right, we'll come back. Teach your kids. Teach your kids, instruct your kids. And now, just like a child who's been told to wait in his room for his dad, you know what's last. Discipline, that's what's last. Number four, you are to lovingly correct and discipline your kids. Proverbs 13, 24 says, the one who will not use the rod hates his son. But the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. 1918. This is a heavy one, okay? Are you still with me? This is the four. This is it. This is the long one. This is the heavy one. Okay, Proverbs 19:18. Discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. 22:6. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. 29:17. Discipline your child, and it will bring you peace of mind and give you the delight. Now, with that being said, when we abstain or refrain from correction because of X, Y, or Z, because of this reason, because of this reason, do we subconsciously think we're wiser than God? When we're too tired, don't want to correct. When it's not, doesn't feel worth it, I just give in to their demands. But when you give in to demanding kids, you develop... Demanding kids. True love means that parents will give their children objective outside feedback on the true condition of their sinful hearts. Correction exists and it must exist in your household because errors and omissions exist and because sin exists. Corrections are undertaken out of love because of love. That's what the Lord says. Why do I do this? Why would I make something sting in your life so that you would grow more into the image of Jesus? Why? Because I love you. If I didn't, I wouldn't deal with you. I, I wouldn't correct you. I wouldn't endure with you. I wouldn't for the 50th time tell you, please stop for the sake of your own soul. Because I love you. That's why I do it. Love implements correction in order to protect the loved one from heaping up negative consequences to his or her regret. He says, discipline your son while there is hope. I think Solomon had in mind that there will come a time when each child's life when correcting him will be practically impossible. And if we don't correct our children well before that time, it's the same as setting our heart on their destruction. It's too late to head for the storm shelter when the tornado is overhead. It's too late to lock the gate after the cattle are out. It's too late to be careful with the milk once it's spilled. But as Solomon says, right now there is hope. There's hope. There's hope. But an undisciplined toddler will not grow out of his naughtiness by himself. And to just give into their mans is to make them demanding. And so uncorrected rudeness or insolence or sassiness, what does it do? It hardens over time into worldly decadence, into a pattern that becomes even harder to correct when the child is older. It's less likely that a child will grow out of it, air quotes, than that he'll grow into a larger and more harmful expressions of his inner rebelliousness. His challenges to his parents will only get larger and bigger. Breaking curfews, skipping church, skipping school, choosing corrupting friends, using vehicles irresponsibly, experiment, experimenting with harmful substances, pursuing sexual immorality, more. The training of your child sets the table for his adult years. Proverbs 22, 6, again, start a youth on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Now, in training them, we're not just trying to shape a particular behavior in a particular moment, but in correcting them, we're trying to build into them lifelong habits that help the child build a good name, even before he becomes a believer. Solomon tells us what back to 2917. A well-disciplined child will give delight to your heart. And not only that, a well-disciplined child will become a delight to others. If you really want to pull the arrow out and shoot your kids into the world, shoot them. <laughs> with well-disciplined, lifelong habits that are geared towards God and his glory and let that arrow fly. But if you want to pull out your kid as an undisciplined mess and try to make an impact on the world, I think <laughs> you put the cart before the horse. You're hoping a lot for what they'll be but never do anything in the now. So discipline your children. Correct your children in love. Keep those together. That's the two ditches we fall into. We don't correct because we think we love them so much or we overcorrect and don't do it in love. And it's saying, no, just like speak the truth in love and Ephesians 4, it's the same. It's got to go hand in hand. So discipline your children in love. Discipline them only after instruction and reproof. Don't discipline a childish misunderstanding. Like you say, clean your room, and then you come back and you're mad at them because they don't understand that what you really meant is pick up all the things off the floor and put them in the bins. Just a childish misunderstanding. So actually, give them maybe a verbal warning for that and then see if they follow through. Be precise, be clear. And then discipline your children, love, after instruction reproof, and then with the appropriate use of consequences. In his book, Parenting with Love and Correction, Sam Crabtree gives a few examples of different consequences. He says, solitude, go sit in that chair until I come and get you. Removal, since you're fighting over it, we're putting that toy away. Restraint, scoop the child and pull him away from the skirmish, physically carry him to the bathtub, take away the toy from his grip. Like this. I should have wrote this. This is my life. He's just, he's just explaining what I do on a day-to-day basis. Natural consequences. The top of the child's ice cream cone falls off from the gravel. That's why we try to be careful, buddy. <laughs> I guess we'll have to enjoy what's left in the cone. Appeal to the conscience. Do you think your behavior pleases Jesus? Is this the way a young man should behave? Logical consequences. We won't get you a bicycle until you consistently put your tricycle away each day. So discipline them, but there should be a consequence. And you need to think about, particularly if you're married with your spouse, of what that's going to be and let us be united on that and let us be consistent in that because that's what matters. Now, at this point in the consequences, uh, people always want to talk about spankings and with the insight and the thoughts about that. And that's fine. That's a long conversation I'm already over time. So here we go, okay? I'm just gonna quote Joel Beakey and then if you wanna talk more, we can talk more. He says, as needed, discipline your young children with appropriate use of corporal punishment. In the past, the liberal use of rods and canes was often abusive, so we must guard against that. But contrary to some opinions or even the laws of some countries, spanking is not physical abuse. The best father in the universe says to us, he that spareth his rod hated this son. But he that loveth chasteneth chasteneth him (laughs) but p-time. Sorry, (laughs) sorry. I didn't have my time machine to go back to the 1600s. Uh, (laughs) If you never spank your young children, you're acting more out of self-love than in their best interests. A firm spank on a child's rear end will not injure him, but will teach him that mere words cannot. Sin hurts. It's far better to learn that lesson with a spank than with a lifetime of disobedience culminating in eternal death. So discipline, if you want to talk about that, we can. But let's, let's just be very clear on discipline. Discipline should happen because when I do foolish things, bad things do happen. They need to know that. They need to know sin hurts. They need to know disobedience hurts. But they also need to know that you're for them. So that's why i would bookmark this with discipline them in love and now i'm going to say discipline them in honor that how you treat them how you engage them in that should be of what i said earlier a person even though they're smaller than you they are a person with dignity value and they should be treated as such even in correction even when you're frustrated, even when you've pulled out some of your hair, they still deserve to be treated like they bear the image of God that they do. Amen. So I'm going to give you a few things from Paul Tripp and then we're going to conclude, okay? Here's some practical things. Are you ready? Are you still with me? Okay. How do I go about disciplining my child? Okay, very practical. Again, not me, but this is what I picked up from Paul Tripp, start implementing. Very helpful. Number one, he says, only in a situation of clear, direct rebellion to your authority. That should help, right? Some of us disciplined because our kids are interrupting our idols. They're frustrating our agenda. They're warring with our kingdom of our desires no, 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 that's not your discipline, Lord. If you're to dis- discipline them for direct rebellion, rebellion to your authority or God's authority too, pray for you. Pray for yourself. Ask for God's help. You know what's often in the way of good discipline? Parental anger. That's what. The the biggest obstacle to good discipline to your kids really is not your kids, it's most often your anger towards your kids or the situation. Pray for yourself. Three, take them to a private place. Get them away. Don't shame them from everyone. Get them on your lap or get on their level and talk to them about the offense. Make sure they understand what they did, what he or she did wrong. Five, pray for the child. Pray for them. While you're disciplining, pray for them. That's a perfect way to preach the gospel to them while you're praying for them. Six, administer the discipline. Whatever it is tell them what it's going to be do it and then after it's done pick them up in your arms and love them and tell them you love them and tell them that discipline doesn't separate relationships that their identity is secure you're my son that won't change but there are consequences for our actions let them know that we're parenting them to confess their sin Admit personal responsibility for their words and their behavior without excuse or blame shifting. That's when they can confess that they understand what they did was wrong. They confess it as wrong. Now, what's really difficult is two things. Number one, your kids can't see their hearts. You have to help them. (laughs) And Number two, this takes time. If you're actually gonna do this, if you're actually gonna discipline your kids regularly and consistently, it's gonna take effort. It's going to interrupt you. It's going to be in sometimes the worst case scenarios or times that you can imagine, and you're gonna be able to choose, should I do it or not? My, My question for myself in that moment is, do I have something better at this time than making disciples? That usually determines, dictates my answer. But if you're going to help them, they don't see their hearts. And you're called to be an instrument of seeing, of helping them see. So again, Paul Tripp, this is five more things from him. It's five questions from him to help our kids see what's going on in their hearts. Number one, ask them what was going on. What I'd recommend is put these five questions in your house on the wall somewhere so that you know, I'm going to come back to this, I'm going to ask this, we're going to think about this, we're actually going to deal with their hearts and not just only talk about their behaviors, we're going to address their behaviors to their heart. What was going on? What's the situation? Number two, what were you thinking and feeling as it happened? I mean, what's happening in their thoughts? What's happening in their heart? How are they feeling? What are they thinking about it? Three, hey, buddy, what did you do in response? How did you act? What did you say? But this is, I think, where so many of us stop. Like, we just want to know kind of the facts of the moment, address it, get it done, and move on, right? But number four is actually get into it. What were you seeking to accomplish? That's, they, they need to see that. They need to see what's happening in their hearts, their motives, their desires. And then five, what was the result? What was the fruit? That's a wise parent. A wise parent looks at, hey, if you keep going down this path, where will it end? If these are the consequences now, and you keep living this pattern, what are they going to be? What's it going to look like? Do you want to keep going down this road, buddy? But if you're going to get at your child's heart issues, you have to get at your own. (laughs) No one has ripped into you and got in your face and yelled at you, and you felt helped. Or grateful. You just walked away. Oh man, I just love that. Just really glad when uh, my dad pushes me against the wall and yells in my face, tells me to stop doing something. Just thank you, Lord, for him. You know, no one walks away like that. Now, some of us have been ignorant, parenting as we parented and not really hearing or thinking about wise parenting. Other of us have failed miserably, Sin against our kids and what we've done to them, what we haven't done to them, the sin of omission, of not loving them, not teaching them, of not disciplining them. But here we go, the good news is this. The father knew we are imperfect, sinning parents who will fail our kids, but sent his kid to forgive our anger and laziness and selfishness, to pay for all our parental trespasses but not only forgives, but introduces us again to the Father, a Father who ferociously loves and parents us, who cherishes us, stewards us, who leads by example, who teaches and instructs us, who disciplines us, who loves us so much that he disciplines us. So, we don't fall into the ditches on this path of life. And the Father then sends the Spirit to empower you to parent like Him. Where you depend on the Spirit to control your attitude and your tongue. You depend on the Spirit to overcome your anger. You depend on the Spirit to conform you to the image of Jesus. You depend on the Spirit to transform your kids into believers. You depend on the Spirit to temper your expectations that you're going to have perfect children just because you listened to this sermon or because you had some good intentions. If the reality is it takes a village to raise loving, godly children, then preeminently you have the Father, Son, and Spirit in your corner helping you. father always fathering you the son always advocating for you always pleading his blood when you fell again with your kids and the spirit present empowering stoking you say hey no you turn you go this way then lead your kids this way so you can wisely cherish your kids why you have the father son and spirit and we have one another this is the village The village is our God and us with our kids, cherishing them, leading them by example, teaching them and disciplining for their good and God's glory. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would help us in this. Jesus, if we're deflated at any spot of this with our kids, with our spouse, with ourselves, Lord, I, I pray that you would breathe into us your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy, and that we would turn to you and then parent like you. yes yeah, so for for our kids good and for your glory amen